You are listening to the Enormocast. Hey folks, the word Enormo has long been used by Enormocast listeners to get great coffee from Defiant Bean and now BonfireCoffee.com. But now the magic word is going to make you not only more alert, but stronger and therefore more attractive. How does this work? Is simply screaming it at the crux enough? Perhaps. But more indirectly, but effectively, you can now use Enormo to get a discount on pure climbing holds. Yes, it's time to build that woody and start training. Go to pureholds.com, P-U-R-H-O-L-D-S.com, and enter Enormo at checkout for 10% off your purchase. And while you're there, check out the Enormo Hold. It makes a great International Body Piercing Day gift. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And Defiant Bean is now Bonfire Coffee. How did that happen? Don't worry about it. Jeff is still roasting delicious coffee that will delight your taste buds and will make you feel, smell, and seem more sophisticated. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Normo at checkout for a discount. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is June 16th. It is about 4.30 in the morning, Mountain Standard Time, on the 16th of June. And I'm recording in the early wee hours of the morning. Like, what's up with that? Well, here's what happened. My uh, Spanish friends were in town visiting, climbing here in uh, in the U.S. and on the tail end of their trip, and I had to take them to the bus to get them to Denver at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. So they catch their flight in a few hours in Denver, Colorado, the Greyhound, actually. They're the only people I know who use the Greyhound. Uh, on a regular basis whenever they're in the U.S. because they're used to having nice interstate bus travel in the in Europe. And uh, here they get the Greyhound. So, But I'll say this, Greyhound was on time this morning, which was nice. So got home, had drank an entire mocha pot of coffee like I do every morning, which uh, like many others, they uh, pointed out that I was actually drinking four shots of espresso every morning. Um, I don't know. It just seems like a cup of coffee to me these days. So anyway, so I'm up, I'm recording. I didn't get it done last night because my girlfriend was climbing the black Canyon and, uh, overdue. And so I was nervous and worried that, um, you know, something terrible had happened, but as usual, it was just the black Canyon that had happened and what they planned on being sort of a medium day turned into a really long day and they topped out super late and didn't get in touch with me until, I don't know, about 1030 at night when I was supposed to have heard from them like mid afternoon. 
and uh, everything was fine. Just uh, just one of those days, which is pretty typical down there, and um, always surprises me what we put ourselves through as climbers, what we're willing to just uh, voluntarily do to ourselves, knowing full well that we're going to be scared and we're going to suffer a little bit, even if we're just going climbing for the day, we're going to stuff our feet into those horrible shoes, go up there and be a little bit scared and make ourselves bleed often, if not our uh, hands, then our knees or elbows or something else. All for fun. We just do it for fun. I don't know. Everybody else pursues comfort and we don't. We go the opposite direction, which is pretty interesting. And also while driving my friends to the bus, at 3.30 in the morning, I was listening to smooth jazz on the radio because that's pretty much the only thing that's happening. That, Jesus music, and uh, the Mexican station. And, um, yeah, the guy's voice, you know, it's like typical. So I'm just, <clears throat> at 4.30 in the morning, I'm rocking my most, my most mellow, cool jazz voice for you guys. Although, on today's show, Jeremy Collins, climber artist Jeremy Collins is on, and actually his voice I notice while editing is is quite smooth, quite uh, quite mesmerizing. So look forward to that. Uh, yeah, I talked to Jeremy about um, climbing in his artistic output. It's one of the th- interesting things about him is not only is he an intrepid sort of expedition climber, he's also uh, an extremely prolific artist, almost prolific to uh, a point of of concern, which we talk a little bit about. So. Looking forward to that. It's been a long time coming to get Jeremy on the show. Only real business to take care of is uh, something I've been talking about for a couple months. I'm going to be out in Lander for the International Climbers Fest from the 9th to the uh, 13th, I believe, or the 14th, whatever the weekend is. It starts on Wednesday and uh, rolls through the weekend. It's um, it's uh, in July. Did I mention that? I don't know. My brain's not working that well right at this moment. A great festival, one of the oldest, earliest festivals, and again, Lander is a great town to be in, to climb in the summertime. Can be hot, but is relatively doable, which is hard to find in the U.S. this time of year. They've got a great community of climbers up there who live in relative peaceful harmony with uh, the bunch of cowboys who also live there, which is also sometimes unusual, thanks to a legacy of crossover, I think, from Todd Skinner who was both a cowboy and a climber, and Paul Piana and some of the originals up there, like Amy Whistler, who's still involved with the Climbers Fest, and a bunch of other guys and girls that were um, kind of living the dual lives back in the day when rock climbing first started up there. So there are tickets and information at climbersfestival.org. So if you do end up up there, make sure and find me and uh, say hello. I'll be uh, around the RV will be there if it makes it, and uh, yeah, just come up and say hello. That'd be awesome. Okay, I think that's it for today's intro. That's enough at this hour at 4.30 in the morning. Please check out enormocast.com for more information about the show and how you can help out. You can uh, click over to the sponsor websites over there. You can uh, click over and buy a t-shirt. You can click on the help out tab and see what else you can do. Um, you can send me an email at chris at enormacast.com. Send me your address, get a free sticker, blah, 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 blah. All right. That's it for the morning show, the pre-dawn jazz program. Okay, folks.
Coming up next, we've got a uh, 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 cut from Jeremy Collins' new album, The Art of Climbing. So enjoy. Okay, that's Ooh, pretty that's good. Much better. Yeah. All right, so um, let's go for it. I'm a little, yeah, that's good. Okay, so uh, I'm sitting in the kitchen uh, slash living room, living space studio with Jeremy Collins, the the unicorn, the former unicorn of the Enormacast, the guy that I've been chasing for <laughs> what two years? Like At least. there you were in front of my vision, and then mm-hmm. you would prance away and mm-hmm. and get away from me on some some sort of what happened to the one time where you had to go to the airport or like your stuff got left I, behind? Yeah, or, I put my all my stuff in someone's trunk, and they drove to Denver with it, and I had nothing to, I had nothing. So why did you put all your stuff in someone's trunk? I tend to do that. Just <laughs> drop my stuff places and forget a lot. I got a lot on my mind. So you were here. I was here and all my stuff was headed to the Denver airport. And so what happened with was I ended up taking the flight from Aspen. Right. You dropped me off at the airport. Yep. I flew to Denver where my friend had a layover where he was getting ready for his flight. Mm-hmm. And we met in the airport and he handed me a big black bag basically and right. we looking over our shoulders everywhere we went and felt like we were doing something wrong. Totally. We kind of were. Yeah. But. Well, you're not, what do they say? You're not supposed to let someone else handle your luggage exactly. or whatever. Don't, don't hand over a bag. And there we just like ran up and he's like, I got to go. My flight's right now. I was, me too. And handed me a black bag That's and I ran hilarious. into my flight. You're it, lucky. It, they it worked out. Catch it on security cam. Yeah. That, yeah. That actually reminds me, I flew into Denver one time with a cooler full of deer meat of venison <laughs> and uh i went out to the parking lot the the long stay parking and i couldn't i'd forgotten to written down where my car was oh, no. and like i had no idea where it was yeah. and so i like the bus kind of went around and like i, I felt sort of nervous because i didn't want the guy to think i was a total idiot right. and he's like oh yeah we're we're about around the other side. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get off here. So then I'm so standing. You had to pick somewhere. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was like the parking lot had been full, and now it was like empty or vice versa. And so I was like dragging this cooler <laughs> around. So finally I like tucked it in between two cars Oh no! because I didn't want to drag it around, and mm-hmm. I was like fully grid searching mm-hmm. for my car. Finally found my car, but that was the thing I was thinking. I'm like, is there like security that just saw me plant oh. this cooler bomb in, yeah. in between these two cars? But Luckily, I made it made it away with my venison. Yeah, so good. You can't mess around in airports anymore. No, that's that's the theme here. So anyway, so you are finally sitting in front of me. We're here both we a little bit astounded. I think by you've this. been through like four houses and three girlfriends in, in the time period that I've <laughs> been stalling on coming over. <laughs> um, the four houses is correct. Mm-hmm. The three girlfriends is not correct. Yeah, it's I'm two, two. Oh. Although I've not been through way, two. I've, way off. Yeah. Anyway. I don't run through girlfriends. I don't want it that getting mm-hmm. out of here. But mm-hmm. I'm yeah. you, you stroll. I stroll. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm. And you're married with a kid. I'm married with two kids. Two kids. Oh, you have two yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. How old is the youngest? The youngest is three. Huh. Yeah. How old is the, what, what are their names? Zion is seven. Oh. And Selah is three. God, I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize that a Zion was was that old. Oh yeah. Oh, I thought you were running around with toddlers still. Uh-uh. Well, three. No, he's like my road trip buddy now. Oh, right on. Yeah, we just did our first road trip a month ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not our first road trip, but our first like climbing road trip. Really? So good. Is he stoked on climbing? He is. Wow. It's like this moment. I'm trying to enjoy it while it lasts. Right. You're you're getting lucky. Yeah, he's starting to use terms like, "Hey, Dad, I just sent that." I'm like you did. <laughs> <laughs> start crying exactly where did you guys go uh we went to horseshoe canyon ranch in arkansas oh, right, right. just steep sandstone and mm-hmm. just did everything like they've got this half mile zip line there we did that and did this via ferretta course and he just kind of blew my mind he's a real cautious kid but he embraced it and just oh. it was it was the moment like something snapped and he's, right. he's all psyched now Something snapped. That's oh, yeah. an interesting. Yeah, right? not the best analogy, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're bound for a life of poverty now, son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just enjoy it while you can. Well, who knows? He might get out of it, but don't despair. Yeah. Um, I know a couple couple young climbers who got into it, fell out of it, got back into right, it. You know, right. so you'll probably have some some times. Right. When we don't push it at all. Like, right. It's some. You know. It's usually. It's been like that's dad's thing, and now it's. It's if dad's going, I'm going too. Sure. You know, like we don't push it. Like he does all the normal traditional stuff. He goes to chess club and soccer and basketball and all that. And climbing is just another thing. That's cool. That's totally cool. I want him to pick. My parents wanted me to be a basketball player and sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was... That was probably a, a uh, sort of a genetic Stretch. impasse there, yeah. so to speak. Uh, well, the big thing um, I think that people think about when, if they know who you are, Jeremy, and one of the reasons I brought you on the show, um, other than the fact that you're an extremely accomplished climber, is that you are sort of the climbing artist or mm-hmm. one of them. And mm-hmm. I think that um, in terms of if people have read Climbing Magazine, Rock and Ice, any sort of media over the last 10 years, then they've see, seen some of your art mm-hmm. and this this way that you uh, are using some of these themes in climbing, but not just, I think more just in terms of the interacting with the natural world is mm-hmm. sort of this thematic thing that you sort of mix mm-hmm. in with all your art. Um, and I think that makes you somewhat unique. I mean, you know, plenty of climbers have an artistic side, but you're somebody who's actually, uh, I was really interested to find out or is making a living at it. Um, being a creative person, whether it's in video or whether it's in print art or any any other, any of these other mediums that you use, you found this way to uh, to mix them together and come away with this living, which I think is like, I mean, we all know how hard it is to make a right. living as a climber or an artist. Right. Probably harder as an artist almost. Right. right. And yet you've sort of lived this dream. So I kind of want to backtrack and talk to you a little bit about who you were as a kid. You know, in terms of when you decided that, you know, this nature thing and this art thing were going to kind of come together or, you know, what what, what kind of upbringing that you had that brought you to this place. Right. Well, you know, I grew up in the suburbs just a, outside of Kansas City, uh-huh. Missouri, and um, not a lot of climbing going on around there. But, you know, I think the interest and curiosity about adventure came from my mom. She grew up in Guatemala. She was born in, in Coban and grew up in Guatemala 
on the side of this dormant volcano. Her parents were missionaries down there. And so she grew up with all these tribal groups and she has all these crazy stories of, you know, warfare and things that are happening. And, you know, Guatemala was at war and, you know, back in the fifties, early fifties and sure. early sixties. And, um, so she comes and falls in love with this, you know, this engineering student in the U S and starts her life, her adult life here in, in the States. And so here we are in this kind of protected environment tucked away in the suburbs. And she's telling us all these crazy stories and we're like, what, that's not our life. And then she's apologizing for, I wish I would have given you guys more adventurous upbringing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as soon as I graduated high school, I was, I was out of there. You uh -huh. know, I started traveling and climbing and learning what it meant to be a climber. Do you have brothers and sisters? I grew up with two brothers. One died in 1998 and the other one is in San Diego right now. Okay. How did he die? He died um, BMX bike crossing an intersection, headphones on, sunglasses on, just random stupid mistake. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, lame. Yeah. So <clears throat> so your mom's instilling this adventure in you, but where does that turn into this idea about going rock climbing you know, versus yeah. you know, a hundred other things that you could do or you could have become a missionary or, or right, any of those right. sorts of things? I mean, that's a good question because um, – I ran track and cross country. I mean, I ran mm -hmm. from the time I was in sixth grade to um, to my sophomore year of college. I was competitive running. Like, that was my world. I did hurdles in track, and then I ran um, 5K, you know, a lot of 5Ks, some 10Ks, but mostly 5Ks in cross country. And what I enjoyed about all of that was just being outside and playing and trail running and... Um, you know, I had a guy from high school who was a Girl Scout teacher and he took us rappelling. We're like, yeah, that sounds extreme. That sounds cool. You know, this is early nineties. And we went rappelling and we got on, uh, oh, those old Campmore catalogs, you know, the newsprint catalogs. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. We bought a spool of 300 feet of static rope and cut it in half and, you know, bought the blue old blue water you know the original blue water harnesses just like seat belt webbing sure and uh now we were repellers and so we'd go repelling off all these limestone bluffs around our neighborhoods and um it was really short-lived where the we just thematically uh, i want to connect something did you uh did you ever repel off of a train trestle oh yeah okay <laughs> We repelled off of cranes. <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Good. I just, every, I, I, you know, Jeff Jackson, Dwayne Rally, both from Texas. Yeah. You know, another guy from Oklahoma. It seems like that's one of the oh, yeah. a train trestle is like yeah. money repel spot. Mm -hmm. They so. should have like, you know, have bases like building antenna, what structure, right. or earth. Like they should have that for repelling. I, you know what? <laughs> if we Google it, I bet you they I'm do. I'm sure there's some. You know. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, so. that's all right. So, so that know, was short lived. It was short lived because you, you just like you're hanging there on the side of the wall with your figure eight attached to you, and you're like, man, wouldn't it be funner just to go up? Mm -hmm. And so we started, you know, we got a John Long book and, you know, these 16, 17 year old kids just trying to figure it out. How old are you? 17. Okay. Yeah. At this time, how old are you now? Now I'm 37. Okay. Just trying to put it in perspectives yeah. uh, about, about the years. Yeah. That's 20 years. Yeah. It's a while back. It's about the time I was learning to climb. Yeah. A little, little, little shorter, but um, 
All right, so you're 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 learning from John Long like most of us did at yeah. the time. Uh, yeah. Sort of, I think that's like a through line for anybody who started climbing about that time was right. like John Long books were teaching you how to do it. Well, and now it's blind leading the blind. Like, like you have to force people to read. Like you have to read this John Long book. Sure, it's kids at the gym. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So you're out there. Defi- I mean, are you like def- like walking the line between life and death half the time? Or, oh man, I mean, like you- core shot was like, whoa, man. Look at that. You can see the inside of it. Were you, That's pretty weird. Were you leading on your static line? We never did that. Not that we wouldn't have. Right. But, you know. So purely out of books, are you are you finding any sort of mentor or getting some instruction, that kind of thing yeah. at this time? Eventually, I, I met a local guidebook author and um, told, told him the kind of stuff that we were up to. And he just – he knew that we were going to kill ourselves right. basically. And so he said, let's go out. This guy, Sean Burns. Mm-hmm. And um, and he took, you know, he'd start taking me out and taking me under his wing and basically just making fun of me until I learned it. Sure. The right way. Right. Well, luckily. Yeah. So what's the through line with the art? I mean, you sound like you were uh, a kid who, you know, you were into sports and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Was Was that a big driver in high school as well? It, or, or through school, it was, and it's you know it's awkward. Like I didn't have my circle, I didn't have a clique. Right. Like I was a runner, an athlete. You know, I was varsity and going traveling, doing big meets. I was an artist, tr- fully into the into the world of art. Like that mm-hmm. was my world, mm-hmm. and a skater. So I was skateboarding, running, and doing art, <laughs> and just equally passionate about all three of them. Right. None of them made any sense. Like they did not fit together. And so, are you going to like a, a big suburban high school? Or are we talking yeah. like yeah, you like know, uh, you know, my class was six hundred and sixty. Sure, or something. sure. Three, well, like, three thousand kids. And, yeah. The reason I asked that is because that almost is exactly the size of my graduating class. Right. I was suburban uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. so you know, it's probably a slightly different flavor, but but probably real, very similar. Yeah. yeah so in yeah. yeah. old jeans, and, yeah. <laughs> Chuck Taylors. And- when you mentioned clicks, you know, uh, that's something that just jumped right into my head was mm-hmm. I just flashed back to high school because, yeah, it was, you know, you, you, whether you liked it or not, whether you wanted to be or not, you were sort of, you. everybody else wanted to categorize you and right. put you in these oh, places. Absolutely. And, and so, they, they still do. I mean, yeah. People still do. That. I think it's natural. We're, yeah. we're, our brains just work like right. that. So that's pretty wild. I mean, you've got, you know, like, especially the sort of maybe skater athlete thing was probably a bit at odds oh yeah well you're you know you're on a bus going to a track meet and you're sitting there reading that thrasher magazine mm-hmm. and it's like how does this fit you know i had the full like bowl cut hair hanging down over my face and it just was and maybe that's kind of how i still am like i i'm equally committed to a lot of different things and that's just that's just how i roll mm-hmm. you know and i had this amazing track coach too, coach craddock who he would come up at track meets and be like, hey, man, what kind of art projects are you working on? Or he'd see me reading a skate magazine and be like, tell me about your skating. Like, what kind of coach does that? Like, right. cares about right. that part? Like, at that point, it's not really now. But, like, then it was a true um, kind of alternative sport. Like, if you're a skater, that was pretty, you know, 
outside of the norms sure. in the early 90s. Yeah, and, sure, sure. We don't, yeah, it wasn't picked up by the media as this thing that we see a lot of. Right, it was rebellious. A fringe, yeah. fringe kind of sport. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that your your mom was a missionary. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, in, in terms of religion, mm-hmm. is that also running through this? Are you a religious person? Are you I'd, sort of a guy tr- of faith? Right, I would say that's the better line, a guy of faith, religious, right. and just too much. Right, right, right. I think, I think it's best defined on my... Uh, facebook profile oh yeah where it ha- you, i hate it. it well i hate it that it has that religious whatever it says right. religious preference political preference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so now both of those things say don't don't judge anybody by what they have put in this space sure, like sure. like so religious is a really rough word for me it's just like it carries too much with uh-huh. it, you know well i again i guess i'm you know you're 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 talking about this sort of life of contradictions mm-hmm. and not necessarily that that's a contradiction but then I was just cu- kind of actually more curious whether your parents maybe were okay with this this mm-hmm. skater kid mm-hmm. that was okay. they were they were concerned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, I guess yeah, more yeah. so, oh, yeah. you know, whether your family was was I guess on the conservative side or, or not, right. but they were concerned. I mean, oh, yeah, they were sma- they were like smashing all my Metallica tapes and. Oh, really? Yeah, and I still listen Bummer. to them just just to kind of spite them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of the things you found in the basement? You were talking about cleaning your basement. I did. <laughs> I found a huge box of old tapes. Nice. Like, what What am I going to do with this? You can get uh, tape players for super cheap on eBay. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you can, Keep an eye out. Well, yeah. my, my van still has a tape player, oh, so nice. I'm set. Perfect. So yeah. you're rocking out. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. All right, so... That's the kind of kid you are. You're, you're. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's pretty cool. And and uh, one of the things that I've always noticed, in at least my generation of climbers, and probably um, continues to be to a certain extent, and certainly going back into the '70s, like Lynn Hill mentioned this too, is like, you know, the type of people that seem to be drawn to it have this tendency to to have previously not sort of felt like they fit in anywhere else mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. had all these like pieces and parts in different mm-hmm. worlds. And, um, you know, I've always joked that like, if you get a basketball game with a bunch of climbers, it's going to just look <laughs> like it's going to be horrendous, you know? <laughs> and I just know a lot of climbers who, who didn't find what they wanted until they found climbing. Right. And does, does that fit with you to oh, a certain man. extent? Yeah. And it's, it's, I still run. You know, I love running, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill my identity, I guess, of myself like climbing does. Right. And every once in a while I have these thoughts like, when, when will I be, when will I not have the stoke? Like, when does the stoke run out? And we're at 20 years. Like, right. You know, I've got a good 30 years more climbing in me. And I'm convinced now that I found the thing that this is, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Until further notice. Yeah. You know? Right. No, I, I, that's awesome because, I feel the same way and, and it's ebbed a little bit. Yeah. But it has to, and you got to right. let it do that. Yeah. But I, I also have gone through that same thing of like, you know, is this who I am? Mm-hmm. And if it is, then why do I have these thoughts of like, why am I wasting my time? It's like, I'm not wasting my time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably like a good six or seven years ago for me where I kind of like had been in this moment of opposition or, right. oh, I should move on or I should, and I just gave into it. And like, I've been way happier ever mm-hmm. since, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You know? It's well, not- and I think accepting the ebbs and flows is, mm-hmm. 
is a healthy approach. Cause I see people who will just be like, Oh, I've had a rough season. I tweaked my elbow. I th- botched my finger and they can't come back at the same level quick enough for their, for their, uh, consciousness. And, and then they're out. Uh-huh. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm out of this. I'm going to buy a motorcycle and screw climbing. And that's the saddest thing. Like, I think just being, being knowing and saying, this is a part of my life. This is, for for better or for worse, for sicker or for poorer, I am married to this sport. <laughs> I'm going down in flames with it. Sure. And, you know, I read a little bit in uh, some interview from your past um, talking about how you met your wife in Zion mm-hmm. as a climber. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, continues to be a climber. But you were talking about how you guys, you know, you're sort of the Sufferfest type of guy. Right. And, and, oh, she, yeah. and she likes kind of the more mild, enjoyable mm-hmm. sort of climbing. but. Obviously, you found someone who hopefully has accepted that part of your life in terms of of uh, willing to let you go and, and be this person and do these things. As long as I suppose you can keep up the family yeah. man end of the things as well. Yeah, the facade. The facade. <laughs> She's now that you've raised up yeah, your next partner. Exactly. I'm working on it. Just have to anchor him to a tree. No, she's amazing, man. Trisha, like, she makes it all. She she brings the balance. Sure. You know. I mean, we're all conflicted people with different interests and, 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 uh, she, she enjoys climbing, but it doesn't, it's not what she gets up in the morning and thinks about, you mm-hmm. know, she runs, she does Pilates, she's got other interests in sure. life, you know, and she loves being a mom and, um, first time climbing, climbing in Zion, trying to drag her up this multi-pitch thing uh-huh. with chimneys and off wits and. It, it was a bad idea. I should have introduced her to sport climbing. But oh, I, she. So you, when you guys were climbing in Zion, she wasn't a climber. You no. You you no. I mean, she was just maybe she had a pair of shoes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. lucky that it survived. I, I can't. I can't believe it. Well, that's awesome. That's ridiculous. Well, I guess, but she hasn't really at this. Like, she doesn't have any interest in doing. Like we've done snake dike and we've sure, done sure. stuff in Lumpy and in the park, but like she has no interest in that life. Right. Right at all like you know that's dad's thing that's cool yeah well like i said as long as you guys have found this way to connect on it on a certain level it's it's you know you have this level of autonomy where it's like she's her person and i'm my person sure. and i you know I, I see a lot of guys are just like i gotta find a hot climbing babe to anchor onto it's like no way man like find a person that's balanced mm-hmm. well let's cut back and then to the art so you're an artist through high school is there a point where those things in your mind start to come together, you know, in terms of stylistically again, like I'll be honest with you, you know, obviously I don't know the scope of everything you've ever done. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's this whole side of you that has nothing to do with the outdoors and climbing and nature mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. Obviously the stuff I see is the stuff that you've, you've produced with climbing. So right. where do you see sort of that intersection? I mean, obviously at least to a, some extent, the climbing of the adventure informs uh, some of the creativity that you have. So, I mean, have right. you ever sort of kind of thought about that balance that you have there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's informed by my experiences. It's easy. Like, like right now, but you know, in like, in like uh popular art, mm-hmm. I won't say pop art, but I'll say popular art, like nature's big you sure. know, doing stuff with deer heads and, you know, <laughs> like, nature based and quoting John Muir, like right, it's right. super popular. Um, but for me, it's 
it's been about this authentic connection to my lifestyle approach, which is being out, living it, and um, taking um, my artistic side, which is a bit more cerebral at times than it needs to be, and toning it down, they meet a little better. Does uh-huh. that make sense at all? Sure. And like yeah. when you say, so they meet uh, in a way that maybe other people can grasp right. and understand. Yeah. I mean, and finding that balance, like it's to admit that you try to make the art fulfill a need for the audience rather mm-hmm. than yourself is that's that's a rough thing to admit but sure. of course like what's an artist without the audience right like you're just creating in a vacuum you know yeah and um you know climbing is a huge part of my life and if it wasn't being in nature and having those types of experiences would be that's what it's really about i've fought it like right. i've 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 explored other art styles and I've explored other art topics like more editorial. I've done cartoons for, for style magazines. I did editorials for wall street journal and it just, it fizzles out because there's no energy there. There's no passion. It's like, Oh, this, I'm really proud to be in this particular publication. I'm proud of this piece of work. And, but it's just, it's just work. Right. You know, right. Without the, without that sort of connection to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, in terms of the mediums that you work in, uh, I mean, it, it seems to me anyway, looking at everything that most of it starts as drawing. Mm-hmm. Is that, is mm-hmm. that safe to say that's oh, yeah. kind of your, your yeah, basis? And, and I've, you know, I've gone from multimedia to painting, to sculpture, to installation art, but here I am, whatever, 20 years later and drawing is, I've simplified it you right. know, with something I can carry in my pocket. And um, one of the other things that's sort of astounding, I think, seems to be your output, mm-hmm. like how much that you produce. Mm-hmm. And well, you're shaking your head as if that's a problem. No, it, I don't know what it is, but it's a common ob- observation. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe it's because I live in Kansas City and I don't have the distraction of the mountains. There sure. Every day. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be some sort of fulfillment of that, <laughs> right. like a longing. Or but like, a... I, I lived in Denver for a while and it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're just pounding it out like right i don't know if it's some neurosis some sort of like artistic tourettes like <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's constant right you know yeah yeah it, i mean it, it appears to be i don't know why i even know that but it just i think mm-hmm. like you just said other people have been impressed with that as well it just seems to be you know every time i, I get an update on facebook from you or whatever mm-hmm it's some new piece of art or, right. you know, or maybe I'm like, Oh, he's got some backlog and he just right. pulls this stuff out. No, but it doesn't appear like, to be no, like that. It's constant. Right. And, and like you, there's a disassociation with it. It's like, it's outside yourself. So, you know, some artists may have a real attachment to certain pieces of work mm-hmm. or to all of their work. And I'm so I'm generating it so much. And so constantly that I'll go and look at something from two years ago and, totally forget that I created it. Right. You know, there's just piles. They pile up. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it all stored away or or has stuff been destroyed? Man, the last couple of years I've thrown a party at my studio and just have them on like basement discount prices. Like come up as is, take it and go. Uh And just, I throw a party and, and, um, you know, my local community gets really psyched on it. Uh It's pretty fun, but it's like, I can't be the biggest collector of my own work. Right. It's got to get out. (laughs) Just piles of stuff. So what does your, I mean, your production look like? Are you, 
a guy that at least when you're when you are at home when you are in Kansas City, mm-hmm. you know, do you get up, you go to work, you know, and just clock in, and that's what you do as a daily job, or you know, are are, are you in one of those giant open lofts, just like waiting for the inspiration no, to hit, like in a movie? No, I, inspirations. There's no inspiration. It's just just, just do just, just do out, right. just do the work, right. even if it's bad, just do it. Um, no, I've got a workspace. Like I, I don't do nine to five, but I do eight to seven. Like, you know, I can pound it out for right. days on end. And, um, but I also have the freedom to just go like the weather's mm-hmm. good, go. Um, and, but I treat it like a job, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not just like, Oh, I'm in the mood for art today. Like that may be the strangest part of the whole, right. the whole matrix is that the work ethic and this is, you know, I do, I do a little bit of teaching too. And like, that's what I talk about with students is work ethic. Right. Like, you have to have work ethic. It can't be waiting around for inspiration because that's just, it's, it's useless. You know, like create, 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 sure. make, 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 make mistakes. Right. And, um, so I've set up everything now where I can walk, I get up, I can walk my kids to school and my studios like a block away from their school. So okay. I can walk directly to my studio and turn around and walk home at the end of the day. And it's a pretty great setup. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Uh, that's great. And, but I'm, and I'm also, you know, it's short attention span work. I've got big desktop computer where I'm sitting and maybe editing a film or an animation and I rotate my seat and I've got, you know, I'm working on some big watercolor map piece. And then I, in an hour, I've got a meeting to direct a piece and I'm sitting on Skype directing something for somebody else. Like it's very, uh, short attention span sure. efforts. Uh huh. And, and again, like just financially, you know, having your sort of, you know, finger in all these pies is, mm-hmm. is I guess what keeps it going financially. You've got, right. Oh, you have to on. diversify. Right. And most of, most of uh, my peers don't, they have a right. more traditional job and they do the art when it comes. Sure. And, um, you know, there's many times where I've thought, man, that just sounds so nice. Just like, just a normal, consistent income and a normal job. And then when I have the jobs, the art, art jobs that I really want to do, then I only do those. And that's just not, I just don't think it's in my genetic makeup. Sure. That way. Sure. So I guess, uh, I mean, everybody, everything has its downside. Uh, but I think you're probably better off without that real job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quote unquote real no, job anyway. The, the, it sounds like you're working your ass off, frankly. But Yeah. Yeah, but, it uh, is. And so are you using, I mean, I, this is like way off from climbing now, but are you using agents? I mean, are people pitching your stuff for you out there or are you also running that end of thing? Generally running that, but I've got a lot of friends that take it upon themselves to oh, do that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, some of the recent stuff that I've been doing just these last six months, I've had a PR agent that's been pushing, okay. pushing for whatever, you know, pushing it farther than I can ever possibly do myself. Sure. Or, well, I mean, I'm really curious about this because it's one of the things I've run into with this project. You know, this has become one of my creative outlets. You know, I play music as well, but mm-hmm. but actually this is kind of time-wise just logistically replaced a lot of that. Right. And, you know, I find that's one of the big hard things is that I come home, you know, I've got a podcast that's supposed to be out. I need to edit it, you know, and it it may not seem like this hugely creative operation, Mm -hmm. but you know, it it is producing something that's kind of out of thin air, so to speak. And it's just really hard to like work all day and then come home, eat dinner and just be like, all right, it's eight o'clock. 
it's time to be creative. Yeah. Okay, that's start being creative now. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go, you know. So that's kind of why I'm curious about your process, if right. you will. It's right. just sort of it helping me inform maybe some some way around my sort of issues sometimes with yeah. with trying to be well, it's, it's, spontaneously creative. Let's do it. It's yeah. like trying to go to sleep. Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to sleep. I'm now. tired now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's um I think it's good to allow yourself to fail and and go into those you know, just like climbing, like risk, risk failing and just mm-hmm. constantly, even, even if you're not feeling extremely creative, just at least create. So let's actually talk about the climbing now. We'll come back to that because this is a climbing podcast. <laughs> oh, after yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll come back and, and, quick draws and we'll and... finish up with some of the projects you're doing now with the art as well. Right. Um, I'm curious, you know, you're sort of a expedition climber. I mean, you mm. also climb, you know, just like we all do get out for the day here and right. there. But uh, when you are thinking about a place to go, like you've been, I've got a list here, you've been recently anyway in the last few years to China, Venezuela twice, right? Mm-hmm. To climb to Pui's. Mm-hmm. Different ones? Same route. Same route. Oh, <laughs> same route to finish it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, up to the Vampire Spires in the Northwest Territories. So what do you sort of look for in terms of what inspires you to pick a place, pick an idea, and mm-hmm. make some of these things happen? Because especially those trips to Venezuela, which I'd like to hear about is, right. I mean, I know from, from people having done and told me about that. It's like, that's one of the all time logistic, right. You know, mountains to climb, Yeah, you know, figuratively. That's one of the the hardest things I've heard about people doing with, in terms of dealing with Venezuela, which isn't easy dealing with, uh, you know, guides in the jungle, dealing with the jungle, mm-hmm. you know, all these sorts of mm-hmm. things. So what inspires you to choose a certain thing, a certain goal? Right. I, I think it's, I think it's definitely stems from the artistic side. Like, okay. you know, it's easy to like, let's say, well, that's really this, interesting. Yeah. Actually. There's this, there's this beautiful picture of, um, that's a Tim Kimple portrait, I guess you could say of Shipton Spire. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful black and white picture and nothing, no other pictures I've ever seen have inspired me to climb Shipton Spire other than that. I, I can picture that picture. And that's the best example, like seeing something like that and being inspired by it. Like everybody's inspired by El Cap. Everybody's inspired by Half Dome, you know, the Diamond or Castleton Tower. But seeing something that has multiple ingredients, unclimbed, beautiful line, surrounded by culture and story, um, you know, some level of history, all those pieces come together to make this snap in your mind as, as an artist, as a creator, you know, I definitely see putting up new routes as a creative artistic approach. And, mm-hmm. um, I think they all add up to the, to that, you know, that it's an artistic choice that I can't define it. I can't describe it. Maybe it's a big choss pile, but because I'm inspired by it, like, all right, that I'm doing that. So is that the way it comes down? I mean, are you suddenly struck by things and you're like, okay, that's next or it's going on the list anyway. Oh yeah. And, uh, and then you're the kind of guy that makes it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like my brother, my younger brother sent me this, um, email a few years ago with a picture of this wall in, um, the Lofoten islands in Norway. It's this, I don't know, 1500 foot granite wall coming up out of the sea. It's up in the Arctic circle. And he's like, what do you think of this? And I said, we're going. And so that week we literally 
plotted and figured out how to go just because I was inspired by that, mm -hmm. that photo, you know, and do a little research and you find out, man, there's so much going on here. That's not just hop in a plane and go do the climb, get in the, get in the plane and come home. Sure. You know, that has, I've, that's just, that's horrible. Like for me, like just flying to a country, hopping on a climb, hurrying and hurrying home as fast as you can. Uh -huh. Like you miss out on what it's all about, like the right. people there and the culture and, um, you know, that's, that's rough just flying into base camp and flying out of a country. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I've joked around about how I fly over, uh, the Southeast mm -hmm. to go to Europe. Mm -hmm. I've never, I mean, I climbed in, I climbed in the red for the first time last year and that's pretty much it. With your twin. Yes. With my twin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly my twin, but, mm -hmm. uh, um, he's talking about O-Dub, Chris Hampton, but anyway, I've never seen them both in the same place. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think it's the same person. Yeah. That, that's a, that's no, a, I'm, I'm the same way. I haven't yeah. never even been to the red. <gasps> what? Oh, everybody gasp. Are you serious? I've never been. I want to see how long I can hold out. My favorite thing is I to go. I feel the same way about people... Whole Foods, actually. <laughs> I've never been. Never I'm been. A... <laughs> when anybody anybody responds like, oh my God, you've never been to the Red. I was like, yeah, have you been to Patagonia? Have you right. been to China? Have you been to Venezuela? Have you been to the Vampire sure. Spires? Have you sure. been to the Arctic Circle? Like, like I've just been distracted by other things. And yeah. you know, I don't consider myself a sport climber, even though I love sport climbing. And so I, when I have chance to go on a road trip, it's usually like, oh, we're going to go to the desert. Or, right. We're going to go to the Black Canyon and um, I'll go there. I'll get there. It looks awesome. I got, yeah. I got the book and I got tickless. I'll get there. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what I was going to say too is I end up flying over because just – I mean I realize that the South or has a culture that's very different from where I live. But it's mm -hmm. not different like going to Europe. And right. then what you said about the history, that's kind of my jam. Like I, mm -hmm. I, just, I just love that idea of dropping into this place where – you know, like my friend's house near the Verdun mm -hmm. was, you know, built in 1300 wow. or something like that. And so, you know, the kitchen has this has this flagstone floor that has this massive groove worn in it. Mm. And it's a groove because there's always been a table in this room right. for hundreds of years. And people have always walked around that table to the huh. point of wearing a groove into these mm -hmm. like super, you know, dense flagstones right. and so then you start to conceive of that of like family after family after generation after generation mm -hmm. and i don't know it just it always just makes me excited and right. interested and yeah, like all those little ingredients about this whole thing yeah, yeah. and climbing is kind of i can climb anywhere and have a good time sure i love climbing yeah but if you can add on those ingredients to it like then it's an experience that actually moves you and informs who you are mm -hmm. and and gives you something to talk about at dinner parties. <laughs> yeah. Other than like Gaston this, undercling that. And... Well, you could riff into who where the name Gaston came from. Mm -hmm. But let me actually zero in here. Um, I actually kind of want to hear about your Venezuela trips or at least right. uh, what, what that sort of involved. It was 2012 and 2013. Yeah. And to climb one of these tapuis, which is these, these big uh, – what are they made out of? It's Precambrian sandstone. Okay. It is supposedly the hardest rock like in the bullet. world. Yeah, it is crazy hard rock. And Beautiful. They rise up like these huge mesas. Yeah, they're like with multiple ecosystems mm -hmm. and, and yeah, everything and else. Their tops have an entirely different ecosystem than the base. Mm -hmm. And each one is is different, endemically different from the other one. So mm -hmm. these are islands in the sky all over the Grand Sabana and um 
Amazon, the, mm-hmm. the junk, you know, it's kind of a blurred line there between sure. the two. And they're in Guyana, Venezuela, and Bolivia. And they're these monster, you know, 800 feet to 2,000 feet tall, like monoliths. You know, sure. they're, they're huge. They take four days to go around. Sure. And, um, I had seen enough pictures and read enough trip reports and talked to buddies that had been down there. It was just, I knew that it was something I wanted to do. And I was here in Carbondale and met this guy. I was showing my film here at the film festival, Border Country. And um, this short guy with a foot long beard with a missing incisor comes up to me afterwards like, dude, dude, Jeremy, you have got to come to my home country. You've got to climb at Tapui. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've always wanted to climb at Tapui. Uh, what's your name? And so that was Jose Miranda, a water buffalo farmer from Venezuela. Right. And he just happened to be here. And so that was 2009 and whatever that is, three three years later, we started plotting a plan to go down there. Sure. And um, Pat Goodman got on board. And um, so we started talking with Jose about this village Unek, where we land. And I said, Hey, you know, if we're going to come all the way down there in this totally remote place, what is it that we can do to help this community there? Like, I don't want to bring soccer balls and candy and like, just throw things at them. Sure. You know? Um, so we plotted this idea to bring them solar power to power. They were using, um, these, this gas generator. It takes them three days to get to a town, Santa Elena, where they can fill it up all their tanks with gas and bring it back to their village so they can fill up their generator. And so it's just not the most, uh, the system, the system needed help. And, and, you know, I said, I don't want to come in this, you know, white or this knight in shining armor to try to help, like, tell me what they need. And so he's down there in Venezuela. And so he talks to a number of guides. And so we put together this system. We're like, we're going to go all the way down there. It'd be nice to do something productive other sure. than just scramble up a rock. And so that was a really cool ingredient of the whole trip. And it went over really well. And um, So you're putting in an installation that's big enough to, to do what? Well, it's big enough to um, run – it runs the village basically sure. because they don't have a lot of power right, needs. Right. Um, they have a little light system. They have a CB radio system for emergencies. Mm-hmm. Someone breaks a leg. Sure. You know, a woman goes into labor or something Something happens. They can now call a helicopter or a plane, bush plane, to come out and, and do a pickup. Mm-hmm. And so they've got this tower they've made and um, antenna. And then um, – Let's see what else. There's a karaoke machine seemed nice. pretty crucial. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're living out in the bush, you got to have a karaoke machine. So that seemed pretty crucial for them to keep their karaoke machine, mm-hmm. machine alive. And, you know, you're way, way out there. And this, this elderly woman comes out once we set the whole system up with the solar panels and the batteries. And she has an iron and an ironing board. Mm-hmm. And she wants to see if she can plug in her iron. I mean, we are thousands of miles away from any kind of society. Sure. But she wants. She wants to clothing. iron something, right? <laughs> like, we're all just like, ah, uh, I, I guess you yeah, could go for iron. It. <laughs> sure, you know she's no sh- nobody has shoes. And how did she end up funding that? Uh, that trip was a grant. Um, that was the 
that was the COP Foundation okay. grant. Right, from the AAC. Right, from yep. the American Alpine Club. And um, then Goal Zero sponsored the oh, okay. solar system. Okay, that's what I, kind of what I was curious stuff. about is how that ended up getting right. paid for. Well, and what, cool. what was cool about it is that Jose's job that he had when he was in Colorado was um, solar panel installation. Is he back down there? He he moved back down there and then he moved back again. That's, oh, okay. that's a big, big story. Okay. I yeah. should have him on. You should definitely have yeah. him on. He's way more interesting than me. Yeah, I, I don't know, but different. He's different. Yeah. He's so, very different. Yeah, I know. I know Jose just in passing. But, right. Um, see him riding around in his uh, horse-drawn wagon around again <laughs> yeah. in the summertime. So. Yeah. so, yeah. So, you guys go down there. Now, what kind of approach is it? Because that's always like what I've heard about with getting into – it's getting to these things without right. like – Getting sick, losing your sight, oh, you know, being attacked yeah. by various creatures yeah. of the jungle. Yeah. You know, so what, what are you guys looking at to get to this climb? Well, we chose uh, a pretty close objective. It's just a day, like a okay. day approach and set up base camp from the town. Oh, okay. And you get to this kind of open savanna grassland and now you're at the base of the actual approach, which are these vertical, just just under vertical grass, like uh, domed ridges mm -hmm. where you're grabbing clumps of grass with your hands, high stepping. And like, it's like fifth class grass climbing. Sure. It's, it's stressful. And so you have to do this um, half hour, just straight jungle approach, you know, machetes and, mm -hmm. you know, there's scorpions and um, the fair to Lance Viper. There are um, all, I mean, there's all sorts of snake threats and you know our we had um one of the local guys from the village was out there and telling us that how you know they had this eight foot long snake that they caught right here just two weeks ago and you're standing in the jungle up to your knees and leaves and like right everything everything looks like a snake every stick looks like a snake your own shadow looks like a snake and um so there's stinging biting flying things everywhere and but you know Pat's from North Carolina and now in West Virginia, and I'm from Missouri, climbing Arkansas. Sure. Like we're used to bushwhacking and we're used to things that sting and hurt and bite. And so we're both kind of like, this is not that bad. Yeah, like, we've got it pretty easy out here yeah, in Colorado. Yeah, you do. Like a couple of mosquitoes come up. You're like, oh, let's go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we were like, it was not that bad for right, us. Right. But I think it's your all about your perspective. Sure. Um. So you get up to the wall and there's just if there, if there's been any rain recently there's hundreds of waterfalls coming out of the wall from all the way around so they're hitting the top which is all rock trickling down through all the various little tributaries through the rock and then exploding out from the wall you know they'll go out 40 50 feet from the wall these beautiful waterfalls and then a lot of times at the base there's little um there's little family groups of um howling monkeys so you're staring at this beautiful, beautiful waterfall and you hear all this grunting and screaming and, you know, they're, they're horrible sounding. <laughs> like, and so we're, we're going to the base of our climb. We're next to this 300 foot waterfall and there's all these monkeys screaming at us in the trees uh -huh. while we're unpacking. Sure. Yeah. And what kind of climbing is it then? Man, it is, it is, um, cause it's really steep, right? It's really steep. Everything's steep. Like you, you, you choose steep chossy bushy gully mm -hmm. or you choose steep beautiful porcelain face sure you, that's your choice right and uh, we chose be beautiful porcelain face mm -hmm. just blank 
but crisp edges, lots of like uh, split fractured uh, dihedrals. So you're just climbing these long sustained laybacks mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all of a sudden you're kicked out onto an arete. It's it's so fantastic. And your uh, trad gear, bolting, mixed? Mixed, yeah. yeah. Whatever's needed. Uh-huh. Like, you know, sadly the first four pitches of our route was just mostly blank. Right. So you'd put in a cam and then, you know, go 10 feet, 15 feet, like, all right, 20 feet. And then, you know, you have to figure it out along the right, way. Like, right, what's right. this pitch going to be? And you want so bad for it to just be this, you know, minimal bolted line you want so bad, but you're there standing on an edge run out. Like you just have to accept it. Right. Right. All right. I guess this is what it's going to be. Were you guys hand drilling? No way. Oh yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, yeah, you got goal zero on board. You might as well be charging some batteries. Yeah. It would have been brutal. No, if it's that hard a rock. Yeah. yeah, You'd still be down there. Yeah, exactly. With, with uh, tendonitis in both wrists. Yeah. No, we so. were, we had the power with us. Nice. And it took two years to finish the route. Right. So we did those first four pitches and it was very steep. It was like, you know, it was at us too. It was really hard. Like, you know, 11 plus, 13B, 12 plus, 12 plus, wow. like bam, 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 all steep, all like um, sustained pitches and... um we get to the top of the fourth pitch and um, Jose starts to take over the lead right on his first, like first or second piece, pops a piece, smashes his ankles into the wall, lowers down, dudes, 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 it hurts so bad, man, and lowers back to the blade and rolls up his pants and both both ankles are like black and purple oh, and swollen. Already. Yeah, swollen like grapefruits. We're like, all right, man, we're going down. Sure. So we go down, make our way back to base camp to try to figure out like, all right, this is a two-man job now. It's me and Pat. We're going through the jungle down the ridge, hobbling, getting Jose back. Pat trips in the in the jungle and rolls down the hill, smashes his finger into a rock, breaks his finger. Okay. Now it's a one-man team. Right. <laughs> and so we just sit there, monkeys howling. Birds cawing in the jungle. It starts raining. The three of us just sitting there by a creek looking at each other like, we're done. Right. Like, you know, we've got four days left, five days left in this trip. And I'm thinking, you know, I could go up there and try to do some rope soloing to try to figure this line out. They're like, man, we're coming back in one year. Sure. Forget this. We're out of here. And so that was it. Right. We're done. Right. Four pitches, like major epic effort to get down there. And then- four pitches yeah but you built the solar thing that's true and we had a great like we built a relationship with leonardo the chieftain Mm -hmm. and his family and the other 70 people in the village right and and learned a lot like we got to um we spent two days with this guy alberto learning how to make their backpacks Mm -hmm. we just wandered into the wood woods cut these reeds down and he showed us step by step how to make these backpacks. And we sent, we all came home with them. Like, you know, you see it hanging in my house now. Sure. And you're like, Oh, did you pick that up at some little tourist shop right, in right. Venezuela? Like, no, right. We built that ourselves out in the jungle. <laughs> so and you guys ended up going back then the next year and finishing it. Right. And yeah. like we had done the hard part, right. like well, then cool. not that it wasn't. Well, I mean, and also like now you've got this groundwork laid. You're just, I mean, uh, you could probably have, you showed up and everybody's like, Hey, welcome back. It was great. Let's like, get it going. Oh man. yeah. Like you get off the plane now 
and everyone comes up laughing and sure, hugging you sure. and you're like you feel like you've come to see friends right. not just come as this tourist sure and we came we enhanced their solar system and brought them some more panels right. um brought a lot of art supplies and did a really cool art project with the kids where we we took i took portraits of them the year before and blew them up for wheat pasting so mm-hmm. i had these eight foot by six foot portraits of everybody in the village and so we did this mural in the school and would like um we'd do some wheat pasting on the doors you know what like large portrait wheat pasting i don't know if you're familiar with that no um it's just like a wall size like doing a mural but sure. it's using photography okay and uh, got them involved, and we get them painting, and it was it was so much fun. That sounds yeah. really awesome. It was really cool, and so we had a lot more time on our hands that on that trip too. So we got to do a lot of interviewing and understanding. You know, they're dealing with um, kind of this. Uh, well, I mean, not that it's anything new. It's been going on the last eighty years, but the gold mining in the area and how it's affecting them. In fact, mm-hmm. on that trip, there was a coup out in the jungle between the Pomones. And um, these miners, the Pomones are saying, this is our land. You're out here like introducing mercury into the rivers and you're killing all of our families. And um, the military is uh, turning turning and looking the other way. So all these Pomone guys trapped 44 illegal miners and something like four military guys and tie them, tie them up and capture them right. and make a call to the Venezuelan government and say, we're not letting them out till you come and resolve this and figure it out. Uh-huh. So we're stuck. Right. We, you know, the four of us on this trip are stuck in an, in a little scabby little hotel waiting for it to all go down, like watching the news and we can't get into the jungle because uh-huh. of this. Uh-huh. So we brought the newspapers to Unec to like talk to Leonardo and talk mm-hmm. to these people like, what does this mean to you guys? Right. It was really, it was really fascinating. No. That, that sounds like it fit, you know, so many of those things that you mentioned a minute ago about like how you create a trip and how you figure it out and what, what inspires you to go down there. It's like, that seems like the, you hit the gold. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's contrived, you know, to, to introduce some level of altruism into right. these expeditions. Like right. you don't want it to be fake and you don't want to right. be like, Oh, well we're coming. We got a grant, but oh, also here's some cool things for you. Right. Right. You know, and I felt, I felt good. Like we felt like we had a balance, like mm-hmm. we had a relationship with, with, um, this group of people, but it's also, you know, I don't want to just throw money at things, sure, you know, sure. like, um, I think there's, there's other ways about to go right, about it right. too. Well, let's finish up here with, uh, talking about your, the, the most recent projects that you're working on. You mentioned that and it, it's not too old, but you've got this uh, basically like a clothing design mm-hmm. uh, company, Meridian Line. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that a little bit. That stems from a decade and a half of working in the industry. Okay. Developing product and T-shirts and shoes for all these amazing brands I've had the chance to work with. Uh-huh. You know, Patagonia, Prana, North Face, Outdoor Research, all these companies that come to me and say, hey, man, we want to bring you in and develop whatever. Sure. And, uh, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy mm-hmm. the variety of it. Um, <clears throat> but this is how companies work. Six months later, they need a new catalog and, um, that design is gone. Sure. You know, whatever it is that you came up with, it's out the door. Right. And then you also hit a ceiling with a brand where you can't do, especially with my style, you can't do too much or it starts to define the brand. Sure. So all of a sudden Prana becomes Jeremy, you know, like that right. doesn't work. 
And so um, the last few years I've been plotting and scheming and planning like, you know what? I need to build something bigger than myself and something that's beyond me. And so Meridian Line is all my map art library and then um, more conceptual designs applied to whatever I want really, you know, like T-shirts, uh, women's clothing, and mm-hmm. our wood art prints and more traditional stuff, greeting cards, postcards, things like that. Where can uh, people find this stuff? Um, well, we've 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 been alive for ten weeks now. And That's it. Uh, ten weeks. And oh app- man! Apparently, we're. I, I in thought f- it was older. No, apparently we're in fifty retail stores already. Okay. Um, and we is who? You, we have got a team in South Carolina, North Carolina. Okay. We all work together. Okay. Distribution cool. and everything. All right, right. So you can go to the mountain shop in Yosemite this summer and pick up shirts and art prints. You can nice. go to the uh, Ansel Adams Gallery. You can go to any Rock Creek. You can go to Desert Rock Sports. You can. Uh, it's all over, man. All right. It's it's a virus. Nice. <laughs> a virus. I don't know if you. I don't know if that's what you want to use that in your marketing <laughs> campaign. It's a virus. Yeah, it's a virus. You need it. <laughs> all right, and let's. Uh, I wanted to hear about that. I actually thought it was had been around longer than ten weeks. So no, I mean it's awesome. it's been a concept, and I've had right. had where I'm just selling art prints uh-huh. for the last three or four years. Right. But I've been trying to figure out the distribution model. Sure. I just I'm horrible at customer service. Right. You order a print off my website, maybe I'll print it that week. Maybe I'll pack it the next week, and then it sits by the door for a month. Sure, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm you're an artist, I'm man. Sorry, you can't be bothered with those things. I'm man. Sorry, like, like FedEx is like two blocks away. I was making art, yeah. dude. So like, this this is me right. figuring out how to just make stuff. Uh huh. Which and is then what let I want to be. Team yeah, do these other things. Yeah, let people sure. do good what they're good at. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, man. <laughs> Doing this all myself, even this little thing, like. Uh, there's, there's things I'm good at and things I'm not good at. And one of them is paying yeah. bills. Well, I can do that. It's, it's mostly the, the, what you just said, the emailing, sending yeah, stickers, the logistics. All sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, just drop the ball. So, uh, finally you just, you're, we're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign for a, although when this comes out, it'll be over and hopefully have been fulfilled. Right. It's getting pretty solid support, right? Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. It's so tell nuts. us about this project, uh, this movie slash book. Uh, that you're doing with your uh, partner, James. Right. James Q. Martin. Yeah. <clears throat> so Drawn is the name of it, and it's a book and film. The idea was planted in Patagonia in Argentina in 2009. I was down there to climb Fitzroy, and it just stormed day after day after week after week after week. So 25 days into this, I'm laying there. We've been stormed <laughs> off. Laying there soaking wet in, a, in the uh, Vivac Palacos, the cave beneath uh, Fitzroy. And I'm just kind of realizing, like, I just wasted a month of my life trying to climb something that's already been climbed by somebody else, hundreds of other people, and not by a, by a new line, like I was going to do the California route. Like, this is, why? Why am I doing this? And and it wasn't just like a climber question, like, why am I here? Why am right. I climbing this? It was an artistic question. Like, here I am, man. Like, you know, what is it that I want out of this? And so I just hatched this plot. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I wanted to go in the four directions from my home, cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west, and do something that was mine, you know, my first ascent, okay, my story. And so 
that's where all these travels kind of initiated. And, um, there was no grand scheme of what the output was going to be. I, I didn't, I hadn't made a film before. Like, right. And that just kind of happened serendipitously. And now here I am, whatever, five, whatever that's five, seven years later. And now it's going to be a film. It's going to be a book with Mountaineers books. And, um, to do the funding, we went to Kickstarter uh-huh. just like, you know what I've done, uh, the equation with a small budget. I've done the wolf and the medallion, my live show and film with a small budget. I did border country with basically no budget. Sure. And you know what? I would like to pay my team. Right. I would like to pay my team to do this. And you know what? I'm going to pay myself for the first time. Right on. And, uh, so we launched this Kickstarter seven days ago. And it's, we're 97% there. Mm-hmm. No, it's crazy. I'm not surprised by that. You it's might crazy. be surprised. No, I am surprised. Really? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a calculated risk like climbing. You sure. Know? Like I came into it, not just like, right. oh, this seems like fun. I'll fill right. out this form. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how Kickstarter works. I'm, I'm probably know as much about it as most people, but the, I'll just say this, like the art, that I've seen you produce. I've seen, I saw the wolf and the medallion. Um, there's some clips of it on YouTube. If you, if anybody wants to go have Did a look at that. Did you see the, the live show? Yeah, I saw the live show oh, here. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I saw the premiere. Nice. Yeah, and so, you know, I know that your work can be arresting and affecting. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you, you, if you had done a Kickstarter maybe for that, you may not have seen right. this kind of return, but now you've, you know, you did it the right way. You've, you've mm-hmm. shown us the production that you can do right. and that it can be moving. Right. Did you and, cry? And fulfilling. I did not cry. Dang I don't it. remember crying. I consider tears my trophies. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe I did. I don't recall, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I was more, I would say I was more exhilarated by the mm-hmm. thing than anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you had the band and, right. you know, and, and, uh, I, the so machines, yeah, and the whole thing. I, I was like, it also it came out of nowhere in terms of of what people were expecting that right, night. So right. that was really exciting as right. well. But I guess what I'm just saying is that you know, for you to go out into the public and say, "Hey, I want to produce this thing. Can you help me out?" Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me at all mm-hmm. that people were mm-hmm. like, "Yes, I, I want to see what you can do." Right, I've been blown away like daily. Oh, cool. Like I can't even keep up with like thanking people. It's so beyond me, you know pretty it's pretty mind-blowing awesome. and, and i think one of the mis- one of the misconceptions is kickstarter is a place to donate like a charity sure but it's like kickstarter is a pre-purchasing program it's like going to the future amazon right you know like these people are buying the book they're buying the dvds they're buying shirts and mm-hmm. they're buying into it right so that we can go out and spend in the next six months just hammering our heads and and trying to make something just well that's fantastic. what i mean i think that people are confident who know your work right, it has a track that, record yeah that yeah. you can produce something that's going to be worth whatever they put into right. it and they make that decision when they yeah. when they go to the kickstarter yeah. so um i mean i realize that you know that you're a person who who uh obviously is is very careful about you know wanting to produce something that's good and mm-hmm. fulfill these the, the 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 obligation that you have right. to the world and to the art and to yourself so right. you're not just going to be like yeah i'm rolling in the money right but right from my perspective it seems totally natural that people would give you money so mm-hmm. um, i like it yeah let me get my wallet <laughs> <laughs> well right on uh we've 
we've blown an hour here, buddy. It wasn't wow. that bad, was it? That was easy. I know. It was Man, easy, wasn't it? That's cake. You've been avo- like you put more time into avoiding it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I used to tell my kids when I taught. Like, dude, well, I just, it's harder to fail. Just get a C for Christ's sake. Yeah. It's easier, and then I'll st- I, I'll leave you alone. Yeah. Well, it's it's like uh, you know. I said, okay, I'll come over. Um, it'll be good to pimp my Kickstarter. And you're like, hey, what? You finally want to come over here when yeah. you have something to I sell? Know. I I'm knew like, what you were doing. That was just good. Good timing. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, by the time this comes out, you'll be well on your way. But beyond that, right. so um, anyway, I wish you luck on that project, man. And Thanks, I can't man. wait to it's, see it myself. It's, it's you know, I'm no qualms about it. It is the most important project I've taken on. It's death, life, love, kids. It, you know, I explore a lot of things. With sure. It. And I'm going. You know, it's all out. Like I'm going as big as I've ever gone with it. So I'm super, super excited to tell the story. Cool. All right, well, let's go to Five Point. Let's it's, do it. uh, it's going to be starting here in a few minutes. I'm supposed hour. to be there oh, yeah, for, uh, to MC. be the MC. <laughs> so <laughs> I better get going. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Psyched to be here. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's still early in the morning, a little bit later. Coffee's really started to kick in, so I'm getting a lot done here at 5 o'clock in the morning. Getting some stickers out, you know, sending some things out to people, returning some emails long overdue, recording this. Um, I wanted to ask a favor, if you're still listening. I don't know, does anybody listen to these? The ends, do they just cut it off? Are you still with me? You still out there? What about the quotes I stick at the very, very end? I think only the true fans stick around for those. All right. I do have a favor to ask. I was thinking about this show with the artist Climber, and uh, I was thinking maybe I've been talking to my friend Lisa Hathaway about doing a music show, a show where we feature some tunes, not necessarily about climbing, but by climbers, just music that climbers have created and produced and put out there. I know some climber musicians that have some recordings. And uh, anyway, I was soliciting ideas for that. So if you yourself have recorded music that you think is worthy of such a fine program as this, and or you know somebody that has, uh, get in touch with me at chris at enormacast.com. And uh, if we get a ton of stuff, maybe we'll do a couple shows like that. Talk to the people who wrote and played the songs and have like a little music show. So um, I've got some ideas and some friends already on my mind, but I could always use some input. And it's uh, it's songs by climbers, not necessarily about climbing. Although guys like O-Dub have got some tunes about climbing, but that's not really the idea. It's more this idea about what we do besides climbing that uh, is creative and therefore is probably in some ways influenced by our love of the outdoors and of climbing, even if the end product doesn't really uh, resemble that. Okay, the sun is coming up. I feel like I should be walking down a gully right now or crunching up hard snow to the base of some horrendous objective somewhere in the mountains. But it's going to be a good day, and I think it's a perfect day. If you're out there, 
to start checking your knot like your life depended on it, because it actually does. I invented the piano key necktie! I invented it! What have you done, Derek? Nothing! You've done nothing! Nothing!